Amen. All right, we're there in Job, uh, chapter number uh, 35. And of course, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the book of Job, one chapter a week. And we are in the midst of this monologue from Elihu. Of course, if you remember the book of Job, you'll remember the fact that the first two chapters are a narrative. We get the story, and then we get about 30-some-odd chapters of this conversation between Job and his three friends. And, uh, of course, as we were walking through that, uh, it got difficult at times with Job's friends. They said a lot of dumb things, and it was frustrating. We got through that, and then we've just got one more uh, uh, mountain to climb before we get to the really good stuff, and it's this guy, Elihu. He speaks from chapters 32 through 37. Now, once we get past this, we've got some chapters where God speaks, and it's some of the most powerful chapters in the entire Bible, and you'll be glad you stuck with it uh, while we get there. But for now, we have to deal with this guy named Elihu. And I just want to remind you, uh, of course, we took a break because of the conference last week. If you remember in chapter 33, if you go back to chapter 33, just real quickly and look at verse 1. In chapter 33, we had Elihu direct his speech towards Job. Notice verse 1, he says, Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches and hearken to all my words. And then in chapter 34, if you flip over to chapter 34, we saw that Elihu directed his attention towards Job's three friends. Notice verse 1. Furthermore, Elihu answered and said, Hear my words, O ye wise men. Now in chapter 35, if you flip over to chapter 35, I just want you to notice in 33, he's talking to Job. In 34, he's talking to Job's friends. And then in chapter 35, he directs his speech towards all of them. Look at verse 4. He says, I will answer thee and thy companions with thee. And of course, I've been, as we've been going through this, I've been showing you how Elihu is wrong, and where Elihu is wrong on uh, many different things, and the accusations that he brings about uh, against Job. And this chapter as well is divided into two sections. The first section is false accusations, and we've got some false accusations from Elihu towards Job. And then the second section of this chapter uh, is false uh, assertions, and it's these uh, statements that uh, Elihu makes as, as though they are correct, as though they are true, as though they are confident, but they are false. So let me just kind of walk through this with you and point out some of these things for you. The first thing we see, and if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write these things down. We see these false accusations from Elihu uh, towards Job. The first thing he says, according to Elihu, and it's not true, it's false, but the first thing that he says is that, uh, according to Elihu, he says that Job said that I am more righteous than God. Notice verse 1 there in Job 35. He says, Elihu spake moreover and said, Thinkest thou this to be right, that thou saidest my righteousness is more than God? So notice there we have Elihu quoting, supposedly, uh, Job. Elihu says that thou saidest, my righteousness is more than God's. This is the accusation that uh, Elihu makes. He says, Job, you said, I am more righteous than God. The problem with that is that Job never said that. Job never said that he was more righteous than God. In fact, Job said the exact opposite. Job said that if he was a, 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 a sinner and that if the things that, he, that have happened to him were in fact due to sin... He said that he wished that God would pardon him and would forgive him. Let me just show you that real quickly. Go back to Job chapter 7, if you would. 
And look at verse number 21, Job chapter number 7 and verse number 21. Because remember, the Job, the Elihu and his three friends, they, they keep bringing up this argument that Job thinks he's perfect. And when I use the word perfect, I use our modern uh, terminology of perfect, our modern definition of perfect, that he's without sin, that he's without error. Of course, we know that the Bible says Job was perfect, and the word perfect in our King James Bible means to be mature or complete or whole. And uh, But they keep saying, Job, you think you're sinless. You think you're without sin. Job chapter 7, look at verse 21. Notice what Job says. He says, and why dost thou not pardon my transgression? Because remember, the friends keep trying to get Job to confess to something he didn't do. And they keep telling him, Job, you must have sinned. You must have had some terrible sin in your life. This is why this is happening to you. And Job's response is, I don't know of any sin that I've done that would bring this. But notice here in Job 7.21, he says, look, if I have sinned, he says, why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? So notice, Job doesn't have this attitude where he says, I'm sinless or I'm without sin. He says, if I have sinned, I wish God would pardon me. I wish that he would take away my transgression. So we see this false accusation from Elihu when he says that Job said that he was more righteous than God. Go back to Job 32. Look at verse 14. I keep showing you this verse in Job 32 uh, because it's a verse that we're using to really judge Elihu, one of the verses that we're using to judge Elihu. But I want you to remember that Elihu, when he started his arguments, remember Job and his three friends were speaking for 30 some odd chapters, and then Elihu, this young man, inserts himself into this conversation and he begins to talk and he made a promise to us when he began. Now, when he made the promise, we were excited. We thought, great, this is going to be awesome. Of course, he was lying, but here was his promise, Job 32, verse 14. Notice what Elihu said. He says, now he hath not directed his words against me. This is Elihu speaking about Job. He says, Job hath not directed his words against me. He says, neither will I answer him with your speeches. Here Elihu made us a promise. He said, when I respond to Job or when I bring my accusations against Job, he says, I will not answer him with your speeches. Elihu speaking to the three friends. He said, I'm not going to use your arguments. I'm not going to use your talking points. But what we've seen over and over and over with this guy Elihu is that all he's doing is repeating and regurgitating the arguments that the three friends have already made. He's a liar. He's lying. He says, I'm not going to answer them with your speeches. But then he just brings back all the talking points from the friends. Let me prove it to you again. Go to Job chapter 4. Because remember, what was, what was the first thing that he said here in chapter 35? He says, thinkest thou this to be right, that thou saidest my righteousness is more than God's? He accuses Job of saying that Job was more righteous or more right than God was. Well, that's exactly what Eliphaz already accused Job of. You're there in Job 4. Look at verse 17. This is Eliphaz speaking. He says to Job, Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Notice this allegation, this accusation has already been made to Job. That Job thinks that he's more just than God. More pure than his maker. More righteous than God is. So we see that Elihu is not only a false accuser, but he's also just repeating himself. He's using the same repetition from these uh, three friends. Go back to Job 35. Job 35. Look at verse 3. Why don't you notice the second false accusation that Elihu makes. Job 35 and verse 3. 
In verse 3, he says this, For thou saidest. Now we have Elihu giving another quote of Job, supposedly. He says, For thou saidest, What advantage will it be unto thee, and what profit shall I have if I be cleansed from my sin? So here we have Elihu saying, Job, not only did you say that my righteousness is more than God's, but then he says, Job, you also said, what profit shall I have if I be cleansed from my sin? And this is the accusation from Elihu. Elihu is saying, Job, you said that because you were cleansed from your sin, because you're right, that brought you no advantage. You, you didn't get anything out of it. You know, for a while, you had all these children, and you had this great business, you had all this wealth, you had all this respect and this fame, but then it was taken away from you, and now you're saying it wasn't worth it. This is what Elihu is saying that Job said. However, Job never said that. Those words never came out of Job's mouth. In fact, Job said the exact opposite. Go to Job 21. Job 21. Now, I'm going to show you in Job 21 how Job said the opposite of that. He did not say that there is no profit or no advantage in being right with God. And you've heard me say this through the book of Job because, again, these guys are just making the same arguments over and over. But let me just remind you again that if Job had said that, that would be the end of the book. We wouldn't be reading more of the book of Job. You say, why? Here's why. Because the whole point of the book of Job, we're private to it. We, we understand this because we get to read the first two chapters. Job and Elihu and his three friends did not get to hear the conversations between God and Satan. But the purpose of the book is there's this challenge there's this wager, if you will, between God and Satan when Satan said in Job 1.9, Doth Job fear God for naught? He says, because remember, God was showing off and bragging Job. Has thou considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in all the earth. He said he's a perfect and an upright man. He says that he is cheweth evil. And then, Job's, and then Satan says, well, yeah, but you've given him all these blessings. Does Job fear God for not? And then Satan put this proposition out there. He said, I bet if you take everything away from him, he'll curse you to your face. That's the whole reason we're reading the book of Job. And then if, if Job would have said, ah, it's not worth it. Serving God isn't worth it. What advantage will it be unto thee and what profit shall it be? That would have meant that God would have lost the challenge. Job would have said the exact thing that would have caused him to have lost. So, of course, we know that Job did not say that. But I want you to notice what Job actually said. Job 21, look at verse 14. And again, this is Job speaking. And in the context, he's speaking about the wicked. I want you to notice it, Job 21, 14. Therefore they, and the they there is referring to the wicked, say unto God, depart from us, for we despise not the knowledge, uh, uh, desire, excuse me, not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty? Now again, is this Job speaking? This is Job speaking, but Job is telling us what the wicked say. He says, therefore they say, Unto God, depart from us. Therefore they say, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. Therefore they say, what is the Almighty, that we should serve him. Therefore they say, and what profit should we have if we pray unto him. Does Job agree with what they say? Well, no, he doesn't. Look at verse 16. Lo, their good is not in their hand. He's referring about the wicked. He says, the counsel of the wicked is far from me. Job said, look, here's what the wicked say. The wicked say there's no advantage or profit in serving God. 
And then Job said, that's not what I think. He says, the counsel of the wicked is far from me. And then Elihu turns around and says, Job, you said, and he quotes him when Job was saying what the wicked were saying. And look, you say, well, you know, that's not very smart of Elihu. But let me tell you something. This is how all the enemies of God's people are. They just, they, they, they hear what they want to hear. They cut whatever clips they want to cut. They splice together whatever, you know, audio files they want to splice together to make you say whatever you want. And, and, if, and if Elihu was actually paying attention, he would realize that Job said, no, that's what the wicked say, and I don't believe that. But then Elihu says, oh, well, you said, well, you said that there's no profit or advantage in being right with God. So we see these false accusations from Elihu just completely, look, and, there's a, and we've talked about it. There's the, all this controversy in the book of Job. People want to argue about, is Elihu right? Is, is Elihu the good guy? There's many people that believe that Elihu is the good guy. Many people believe that Elihu is the hero. Many people that believe that Elihu wrote, Peter Ruckman taught that Elihu wrote the book of Job. And, and, but but as you, you say, well, how do you know if Elihu is right or not? Well, just look at what he's saying. Amen. Everything he's saying is wrong. He's accusing Job falsely, and here's what we know. At the end of the book, God says, Job is right. So look, either Job's right and Elihu's wrong, or Elihu's right and God and Job and everyone's wrong, but you can't have it both ways. And that's really what you need to understand. When it comes to these false accusations, people often want to have it both ways. They want to contradict themselves, but that's not the way it works. Truth does not work in two different areas. Look, truth is truth whether you like it or not. So we have these false accusations from Elihu. Then I want you to notice that we have these false assertions from uh, Elihu. He makes these statements. What's an assertion? It is a confident and forceful statement of fact or belief. And I want to tell you that Elihu's assertions are wrong. He makes these statements and he says them as though they're truth, but they're wrong. Notice verse 4. He says, I will answer thee and thy companions with thee. Look unto the heavens and see, and behold the clouds which are higher than thou. Now notice what he says in verse 6. This is Elihu. If thou sinnest, he's talking to Job. If thou sinnest, what doest thou against him? Or if thy transgressions be multiplied, what doest thou unto him? And here's the, the, the point that he's making. He's saying, you cannot hurt or bring pain or displeasure to God. Elihu's saying to Job, he says, if thou sinnest, what doest thou against him? And if thy, trans, uh, if thy transgressions be multiplied, what doest thou unto him? Now, I want you to notice that if you just take those words, Without really thinking about it, they sound spiritual. They sound like the guy who's saying it is a spiritual guy. Doesn't it kind of sound like he's magnifying God? He's saying, you can't hurt God. God's bigger than you are. You can't bring pain to God. If thou, he says, if thou sinnest, what doest thou against him? Or if thy transgressions be multiplied, why doest, what doest thou unto him? And look, obviously all lies have a little bit of truth to them. And obviously, when we're talking about the nature of God... And God is a being, yeah, your sin and my sin doesn't hurt God. He's not going to stop being God because you and I sin. But to make the argument that God is not grieved or displeased or upset 
at the sin of the world and especially the sin of his people is just a flat out lie. He says, here, Elijah says, you can't hurt God. You can't bring pain to God. And then he says this. He says, and you cannot help God or bring pleasure to God. Look at verse 7. He says, if thou be righteous, what givest thou him? Or what receiveth he of thine hand? He said, if you're right with God, what are you doing for God? What are you giving to God? Thy wickedness may hurt a man as thou art, and thy righteousness may profit the son of a man. He says, look, your sin can hurt other people, is what Elihu is saying. And this is true, your sin can't hurt other people. And he says, and your righteousness may profit human beings. And that's true. Our righteousness may profit human beings. But the argument that he's making is that you cannot hurt God. God doesn't care if you sin or if you're righteous. He's not, he, he gets no pleasure from it. He gets no pain from it. And first of all, let me just say it again. This is a tired, worn-out uh, uh, argument that Eliphaz already made. Go to Job 22. Remember, as we've been studying Elihu, we've, we've realized that Elihu's like Eliphaz's little brother. I mean, he loves the arguments from Eliphaz. He keeps repeating the arguments from Eliphaz. Eliphaz already said, Job 22.1, Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Can a man be profitable unto God, as he that is wise may be profitable unto himself? This is an argument that Eliphaz already made. And, and here we have... Uh, uh, Elihu bringing up again the argument from Eliphaz. So the question is, does our sin hurt, grieve, or bring pain to God? Does our sin affect God, or does our righteousness bring pleasure to God? Well, there's lots of verses we could look at for this. I'm not going to take the time uh, to go through all of it because I've got other stuff I want to deal with tonight. But go with me just real quickly to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 30. Elihu says, your sin will not bring displeasure to God. Is that true? Ephesians 4.30, the Bible says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. The word grieve means to, to, to bring displeasure, discomfort. The Bible says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. So, are we as believers able to bring displeasure to God, grieve God? And the answer is yes. Our sin is something that God looks upon and it displeases Him. Go to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, last book in the New Testament, should be fairly easy to find. Elihu is not telling the truth here. And by the way, today many people lie about sin. Today, often people were saying, you know, uh, uh, all of us need to take heed to this, but especially young people. The lie is being told to young people is, well, if it doesn't hurt anybody, you know, just let everybody live and not live. I mean, if it doesn't hurt anybody, if it doesn't hurt anything, if people are just doing whatever they want, you know, just, uh, just go at it. Well, here's the problem. The fact that sin doesn't hurt anybody is a lie. Sin, you say, who does sin hurt? Well, number one, it hurts you. The sin is going to hurt you, is going to hurt your life, is going to hurt your body. But let me tell you something. You don't, you're not an island. Your sin hurts other people too. Your sin will hurt your family. Your sin will hurt your church family. 
And, and you say, well, I don't, you know, I don't care about me or I don't care about my family. Okay, how about this? It'll hurt God. Right. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You might say, well, I don't care if I hurt God. Well, you'll care if you hurt God when you piss God off. Yeah. Right. You, you say, I don't care if I hurt God. Okay, well, there's this thing called the fear of the Lord. And here's why you don't want to hurt God, because God might hurt you. Because God might bring his judgment upon you. Because God might bring his, his, uh, his chastisement upon you. But look, in the same way, not only does our sin bring displeasure to God, but our righteousness brings pleasure to God. Revelation 4, look at verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, notice, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You know the Bible says that you and I were created to bring pleasure to God? We were created to be in relationship with God, to be in fellowship with God, and to bring pleasure to God. If you look at the, uh, uh, at the book of Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve, the Bible says that, that God came down to walk with Adam, to fellowship with Adam. Adam was created, and all of us who are descendants of Adam were created to bring pleasure to God. Go to 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29, if you find all the one and two books, they're all clustered together. 1 uh, Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles. 1 uh, Chronicles 29, look at verse 17. Remember what the Bible says about what Job, the book of Job says about Job? It says that he was an upright man. Upright means that he was righteous, that he was right with God, that he had an upright standing with God. Notice what 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 17 says. He says, I know also, my God, that thou triest the hearts, notice, and has pleasure in uprightness. Isn't that what the Bible says that Job was? Job was an upright man. And the Bible says that God has pleasure in uprightness. By the way, that's why God was bragging and showing off to Satan about Job. Has thou considered my servant Job? Look at, look at Job. I'm well pleased in Job. Doesn't the Bible say that one day, that great parable uh, tells us that one day we'll stand before God and we're hoping that he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Yeah. Why? Because our lives can bring pleasure to God. So Elihu is wrong. When he says, if thou sinnest, what doest thou against him? If thy transgressions be multiplied, why doest thou unto, what doest thou unto him? If thou be righteous, what givest thou him, or what receiveth he of thine hand? Thy wickedness may hurt a man as thou art, and thy righteousness may profit the son of man. He says, you're not hurting and you're not helping God. That's not true. That's a false doctrine, a false teaching. So we see that Elihu is just filled with false accusations, false assumptions, false assertions. See, Elihu, if you remember from when we first met Elihu, what is he? He's a young man who's angry, who's proud, who's arrogant, who's a blowhard, who's obnoxious, who says too much, who talks too much, and he's attacking the man of God, Job, the, old, the New Testament tells us Job is a prophet of God. He's attacking the man of God with these false accusations, these assumptions, these assertions. But let me tell you something. There is no new thing under the sun. That's exactly what we're experiencing today. 
And, you know, I, I wanted to kind of move through the chapter quickly because I wanted to make sure we got through the chapter and did our Bible study. But we've already spent several weeks on Elihu, and we're going to spend a couple more weeks on, on Elihu, unfortunately, before we get to the really good stuff. But let me tell you something. Elihu is an example of the fact that thousands of years ago, we had arrogant people who were idiots, who were dumb, who did not have the, all the facts, did not have all the, uh, all the evidence, and they were just throwing accusation after accusation, assumption after assumption against the men of God. And but look, there's no new thing in our science. Exactly what's happening today. In fact, this week, and I wanted to bring this up in this, in this sermon, this week, there's a guy named Seth Bookow. Is that his name, Seth Bookow? Brother Oliver, is that his name? Seth Bookow? Came out with this interview. And, 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 and calling it an interview is using the term loosely. Came out with this video where he interviewed Leslie Romero. If you remember Leslie Romero, the wife of Donnie Romero, who got exposed for spending church money, stealing church money, being with hookers and gambling and drugs and all that. And they, they did this interview exposing the new IFB. And the interview is just a bunch of false accusations and assumptions and assertions. And, you know, we, we've already talked a lot about this idiot Elihu, so let's just talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the Elihu, an Elihu of the 21st century, the Seth Bookout guy. Now, you know, and I, and I want to address this, and let me just kind of give some statements, and I know a lot of you probably already heard this because I've been getting text messages, my wife has been getting text messages, people letting us know about it. Let me just say this in regards to Leslie Romero. You know, I'm not going to just launch out a bunch of personal attacks against Leslie Romero. I do want to respond to some of her accusations, but um, I, I'm not just going to, you know, um, come at her really, really hard. You know, she's a lady and, and all those things. Seth Bookout, on the other hand, is a, is a different story. So if you don't know who Seth Bookout is, let me just explain it to you. He's this fat, obnoxious idiot. I mean, he's, he's, he's a flat earther. That's really all you need to know. He got thrown out of Steadfast Baptist Church for being a flat earther. And I've, I've only really, I've met Seth, I've talked to him a few times at different events, and I've never really talked to him for that long but you don't need to talk to him for that long to realize that the guy's a complete imbecile. And uh, anybody who's ever met him can attest to the fact that the guy is an idiot. And you say, well, Pastor Jimenez, why are you bringing this up or why are you responding to this? Well, a couple reasons. First of all, he attacks, you know, uh, Pastor Anderson and Ms. Susanna. Ms. Susanna's actually here uh, tonight. Um, are personal friends of my wife and I. And he attacks them on this video. And I just, I agree with Pastor Joe Jones. Friends should stand up for their friends. And they should be loyal. But, you know, if that's not good enough for you, let me just say this. They personally named me in the video, too. So if you just think I'm meddling and things that don't belong to me, they brought me up by a name in the video. So I think that I should be able to defend some of these things, these false accusations, these assumptions, and these assertions. And that's really all the video is. In fact, it's funny because... When, when the video starts, if you listen to it, and I'm not telling you you should listen to it. Don't waste an hour of your life um, unless you just really have nothing to do. But um, when the video starts, I mean, the very first thing, you know, I've done a lot of interviews and I've been interviewed by a lot of people. And usually, you know, the first, the first question is just supposed to be this thing. It's supposed to be this question that kind of brings, you know, just grabs your attention, makes you want to listen to the whole thing. Usually people come out with their strongest question, their strongest thing right at the beginning of the interview. He begins the interview, and he says right at the beginning, here's what he says. He says, let me kick off with a rumor that I heard. And it's like, is that, is that what you got? 
I mean, you got this video. They had this trailer like, we're going to expose Pastor Anderson. And he's like, first thing. I mean, my biggest. Here's a rumor I heard. And the whole thing's just like that. The whole thing's just, you know, what do you think was the real motive behind this? Or I don't have the facts to prove this, but let me tell you what I think and why they. And the whole thing's just a bunch of false accusations. And you say, well, why are you bringing it up? You know, because these people need to be rebuked. Elihu needs to be rebuked. Why did God give us six chapters of this guy, Elihu, being a blowhard to show us there's people like that out there who will accuse you and just throw lie after lie, quote you, and they're lying. Just telling lies about what you've done or what you said, and people need to call it out and say, that's not true. And you say, well, you know, I don't know much about the situation. I wasn't there. But look, you, you can just listen to the interview itself and find all sorts of contradictions. Let me just point, I don't want to spend all night on this, but let me just point out a few of them. They, they bring up these text messages, and there's this contradiction with the text messages, because she says that Pastor Anderson told her that she should delete her text uh, messages that, that, that he had sent her for her own safety. Now, I want you to understand, and look, I, I was very close to the situation. I was getting the play-by-play pretty much every step of the way, so I, I know a lot of what happened. And when this whole thing happened, Pastor Anderson confronted Donnie Romero. And by the way, in the interview, Leslie Romero says, I called Pastor Anderson because he was, first of all, he's a sending pastor, but also she just believed that he had the guts to actually confront him. And I agree, praise the Lord. He confronts Donnie Romero and tells him, like, you got to step down. You can't be the pastor anymore. You know, this is not okay. He calls his wife and says, I'm going to kill you. And, 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 And then his wife calls Pastor Anderson and says, he's going to kill me. And you know what Pastor Anderson does? He says, I'm flying out. And he flies out there to pretty much protect her, make make sure she's okay, puts her in a hotel room so that she'll be protected so she won't be there by herself when he comes home. And that's what these text messages are about, where they're, you know, talking about where she's going to stay. They put her in this room, you know, giving her the address. And he says, you might want to delete all those text messages from your phone because if your husband takes your phone and finds out where you're at, you know, obviously that's not going to help you if he knows where you're at. And in the interview, she says, you know, at the time, she says, this is a quote, I'm thinking yes. Like, she says, yeah, he told me I should delete my text messages because we don't want him to know where I'm at. And I'm thinking yes. And she goes on and on about how she was in fear for her life and she uh, was afraid. And now, fast forward however long it's been, her and Seth book out, they want to sit there and say, well, I wonder what the real motivation was for him having you delete your text messages. Well, here's the thing. You can't have it both ways. Either he told you, hey, you should probably delete your text messages so your psychopath husband doesn't find you and kill you. And she's like, yeah, I was afraid. And then come back now that you want some money, now now that you you want a platform, you're going to come back and say, oh, well, what was the real reason that he told me to delete my... The real reason was the reason that he gave you the reason you agreed with. You can't have it both ways. Look, and then you say, Pastor, why are you bringing this up? Because I think sometimes people, they're not listening to things uh, uh, carefully, and I just want to point out to you, that's a contradiction. You can't sit there and say, yeah, I was afraid for my life, and I agreed with him at the time that I didn't want him to know where I was, so I deleted the text messages, but now I wish I had the text messages so I could make videos and try to get money off of them. Well, I wonder what the real reason was. That he had you delete them. The real reason he had you delete them was because you were in danger of your life. Here's another contradiction. The Wednesday night service. 
She talks about the fact that uh, they were never going to uh, uh, tell anyone at the Wednesday night service about what Donnie had done, the cover-up. And then uh, and, and she, she, she says, oh, it's going to be this cover-up. They're not going to tell anybody what, what, he, what he did. But then she also says that after Donnie Romero gets up and, you know, and what he said was stupid. That's not what he was told to say, and he just said all these stupid garbage when he resigned. But after he resigns, Pastor Anderson gets up and preaches a sermon where he's just preaching on all the sins of Donnie Romero and the things he did. And she's like, oh, they didn't bring it up in the, in the Wednesday night service. You know, that's bad because it was a cover-up. But then she also says in the, same, in the same video, but then he got up and preached all the, all the uh, sins of Donnie Romero and it made me feel bad. It's like, well, which one was it? Did he not bring up the sins or did he bring up the sins? And obviously, look, at the Wednesday night service, because some of you guys probably don't remember this and it's fine. The Wednesday night service... Don Romero resigned, Pastor Anderson got up and preached, and then the next day a video was released explaining in detail you know, what happened and why he was removed and all those things. You say, well, why wasn't it brought up on the Wednesday night service? I'll tell you why it wasn't brought up in the Wednesday night service, because his children were sitting there. Because his wife and his children are sitting there as he's resigning. This guy still has to be a dad to these kids. We don't want to say, hey kids, your dad's sleeping with a bunch of hookers and he's a drug addict. You know, obviously, while his family's there, they just let the guy resign and get out. And then the next day, Pastor Anderson, to make sure there's no cover-up, no one can accuse us of sweeping it under the rug, which is what they're accusing us of, he makes a video and tells people, hey, here's what happened. You know, and also, by the way, here's why, another reason why he didn't bring it up on Wednesday night, because uh, he stole money from the church. And, and people in that building had given money towards that church. And, you know, a fight and a riot might have broke out. As a result. So, you know, you can't have it both ways. You're like, well, he didn't bring it up. That's bad. It's a cover-up. And then she's like, but he did bring it up, and that made me feel, well, which one was it? Did he bring it up or did he not bring it up? She, she talks about like, oh, and then he made this video, and he didn't tell me that he was going to make the video. But then she talks about being at the restaurant, and he says like, hey, it's coming out. You know, we're going we're gonna to get, get it out there. And he's like, well, which one was it? Did he tell you or did he not tell you? It's just all these lies. All these assertions, all these false accusations. And if you listen to it, and again, look, she's, she's going out there and saying, and, and Roger Jimenez was involved, and he, he was agreeing with all of this stuff. For, and, and you know what, let me tell you something. I think, it was, I think the way they handled it was fine. You say, you know, well, well it could have been done better. Give me, give me the manual for how you remove a pastor who's been sleeping with hookers and is a drug addict and has been gambling away the church money. Where, where's that chapter in the Bible? Yeah. You know, there, there's, no way how you're gonna, you, there's no way to handle it that's going to be good. It, it's bad. You know why? Because it's sin. And obviously, anybody can look back in hindsight 2020 and say, well, maybe this or maybe that. But you know what? There's a church called Steadfast Baptist Church running high attendances, soul winning with a pastor, with a pastor's wife that has survived due to the fact that Pastor Anderson went out there and took care of it. And instead of, instead of saying, hey, thank you. Thank you for taking a couple of weeks away from your church and your family and literally the stress put him in the hospital. You know, you're going to attack him, Elihu. And look, there, there's red flags. I'm just pointing this out to you because some of you are asking those questions, and it's just easier for me to just preach it to you now than to have my wife just text you all or have to sit there and text you all. You know, you say, what's the, what's the red flag? Okay, here's a, here's a major red flag. In the video, she's talking about 
the church money, the money in the church account. And this is what she said. This is a quote. They, referring to Pastor Anderson and Pastor Shelley, they wanted to steal the money from Donnie. Now, she's talking about the money that's sitting in the church account. And she says they wanted to steal the money from Donnie. That is a huge red flag. Let me explain something to you. No legit pastor or pastor's wife would ever, would ever refer to the church's money sitting in the church's account as their money. In fact, we've had people, we've had people that made donations to the church, like they, they you know, sold something or made a bunch of money or whatever, and they made a donation to the church, and they're like, oh, I bet that really you know, helped you. Like somebody said to my wife, I bet, I bet that really helped you. And my wife's like, no. Yeah, well, you know, we gave all this money to the church. They're like, yeah, to the church. Not to us. We're employees of the church. We get paid from the church. We have our own account where we pay our own bills from. Like the, the church account and the church money is not our money. And for a pastor's wife to be like, oh, the church money, they were trying to steal that from Donnie. That wasn't Donnie's money. Even if he was the pastor, that wasn't Donnie's money. And by the way, that just shows you the wrong mentality because you know how Donnie Romero was using the church accounts? Like his personal accounts. Like his personal piggy bank. Like this sludge fund for him to just go gamble with and do whatever he wanted with. And apparently she has the same mentality because she says they were trying to steal Donnie's money. That wasn't Donnie's money. That was the church's money. She says, oh, and then they gave it to Pastor Shelley. They, it's the church's money! He became the pastor of the church. They didn't give it to, they gave it to, it stayed with steadfast. Huge red flags. Then she's upset about how much money she got. And look, this is the real reason. The love of money is the root of all evil. She's upset that the church only gave them, you know, this certain amount of money. And, and, and they should have given her more. First of all, the amount of money that the church gave her was very generous. You say, why is that? Because she's not a widow. Her husband didn't die, and we're just biblically obligated to support her. She, she, the church, look, the church is not under any legal or biblical obligation to give her anything. In fact, her husband stole a bunch of money from the church. If anything, he should have to pay that back. The fact that they're like, get out of here, and you say, well, why did they give him money anyway? And look, I'm just, I'm just trying to answer your question. Look, the Bible says that, that when we're telling the truth, we should come out to the light. O- only people who are telling lies and are not telling the truth want to hide in darkness. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil, is what the Bible says. I'm just, you know, you say, uh, you're giving us all these details. I just want to put it out there. You know, what happened? Why did they give her money? Well, look. When the whole thing was said and done, when the whole thing was over, Pastor Shelley was the pastor, Pastor Anderson was getting on a plane, flying back to Phoenix after being there for a couple of weeks and, you know, ruining his health and all the stress of trying to help these people out. You know, what did we leave off of? Here's what, here's what we left off. We left off that Donnie Romero and Leslie Romero were moving to this other state to be part of this other church to get marriage counseling because they were going to try to work on their marriage. Well, look, if, if the way we leave off is you're going to try to work on your marriage, try to restore your marriage, you're going to try to forgive him, and you're going to try to work that out, then why would, there, why would you expect for the church to give you some sort of like monthly uh, 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 salary or something? 
He, he can't be the pastor anymore. That does, he, he, didn't disqual- he disqualified himself from being the pastor. He didn't disqualify himself from being a man. He needs to go get a job. The church gave you money so you can get on your way. So wherever you were going, he could get a job and support his family. You guys could work on your marriage. That's what you were supposed to do. But just because you divorce him now, now you want to come back and try to get some pity and get some money. Open up your little Patreon account so you can get money. You say, I don't think you should be bringing this up. These are attacks on our church and our friends. And look, I've, people get mad at me when I bring these, stuff, these things up, but this is what I've always said. This has been our position at Verity Baptist Church from the very beginning. When people leave quietly, we let them leave quietly. But the moment they go on a public platform and start hurling accusations at us, then we have the right to defend ourselves. The Bible says that we get to mark them. That means that we get to call them out so that they can be avoided. So that the answer, so we can answer the questions and people can say, well, what happened? I'm telling you what happened. You know, they end their little video with this, this comment about the, the, the hobby horse, the pastor's hobby horse, you know. And she brings up earlier how, like, pastors leak information, whatever, you know, and whatever their, she, she, at the end she's talking about, whatever their hobby horse is, that's what they're into. And, and Seth Bookout is agreeing, yeah, whatever the hobby horse is, whatever they're really into, that's what they're, you know, what they're, and it's the same garbage that all, all the reprobates make the same argument. Oh, you guys preach against us being uh, uh, sodomites because you're, uh, uh, you know, a closet sodomite or something. Just the exact same arguments of the hobby horse. First of all, I don't even agree with that argument. But if it's true, Seth, you know, because Seth Booker's like, well, whatever their hobby horse is, that's what they're into. Whatever they're always talking about, that's what they're into. Okay, well, if that's true, Seth Bookout, you have a YouTube channel called Dirty Donnie. And the whole point of the channel, all the videos, are about how Donnie's into hookers and drugs and gambling. That's your hobby horse. So what are you into? What are you so focused on all the time? That that you're just going to make, you know, she's going to make this video with some skull. She's got some YouTube channel, Spellbreakers, with some skull, where she's going to try to say that our pastor's wives are witches or whatever. You know, what's your hobby horse? What are you leaking? If that's what you're all focused on, that's what you're talking about. Look, you say, I don't know, yeah, I don't, you shouldn't be bringing these things up. We, as God's people, should, should shine light, especially when people are trying to hurt our churches. And say, listen, Elihu, these are false accusations. You're making assumptions. You're hoping that this is, you know, this is true. You're, you're bringing up all these questions, hoping that people will turn on us. But look, the truth is, you're a liar. And, and, and look, here's my, my message for Leslie Romero. Obviously, the lady's life is a train wreck. And she's just in a bad place, and I get that. But look, you don't get to decide you want a platform and you want money and attack me and my friends to, to try to do that. You know, at least not without us calling you out on the carpet. You know, there's lots of, there, there's lots of things that, that I could say that I'm not, I'm not going to, but... You know, let me, let me just say this. If Leslie Romero is watching, which I know she is, or she will be at some point, you know, it, unless you're just like some psychopath reprobate, deep down in your heart, you know everything that Pastor Anderson and Mrs. Anderson did for you. And you, you even know everything that my wife and I did for you while you were going through this difficult time in your life. And you really ought to just be ashamed of yourself that you would pay people back in this way. 
Just because you, you want to set up some Patreon account that Paul Winnenberger wants to, you know, subscribe to so you can get all the, the dirty laundry or whatever. And, and I'm not, look, Paul said he wasn't against us. I believe him. But you're still subscribing to her and giving her money and supporting her. Where's the Daniel series, Paul? Give us the Daniel series. Anyway, people have been asking about the Daniel series. Go back to, go back to Job 35. Let me give you some, just some last things here about Elihu. But look, there's Elihu's everywhere. We're going to be dealing with Elihu's for the rest of our lives. False accusations, assumptions, assertions, and we got to call them out and say, look, that's not true. That's a lie. Pastor Anderson went out there to try to help your church, to keep your church. To, to, first of all, he went out there to make sure you didn't die. To, to make sure that you, and, and he was there for hours counseling with them, there for hours talking to both of them. I mean, when, when, he, when he got on the plane, it was, I'm going to kill you. When I get home, I'm going to kill you and the kids. And he'd made all sorts of like very specific threats. And when he left, they're packing up, moving to a, another independent formal Baptist church to work on their marriage. That's, that takes a lot of work. That, that takes a man of God giving a lot of himself. They, they, they should be making a video thanking him Amen. instead of attacking him. Let me give you just some real quick things here about Elihu that he actually, because, you know, Elihu does say some things that are correct. Not everything he says is wrong. He says some things that are correct. Let me just highlight this for you real quickly. Job 35, look verse 9. By reason of multitude of oppressions, they make the oppressed to cry. They cry out by reason of the arm of the mighty. Verse 10. But none saith, where is God, my maker, who giveth songs in the night? So Elihu brings up the fact that God gives songs in the night, and the night's referring to difficult times. And, you know, this is true. We see that in, in Acts 16.25, the Bible says, you don't have to turn there, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Then he says this in verse 11. He says that God made humans smarter than animals, which is true. Verse 11, who teacheth us more than the beasts of the earth, and maketh us wiser than the fowls of heaven. And then he says this in verses 12 and 13, that God resisteth the proud. He says, there they cry, but none giveth answer because of the pride of evil men. Surely God will not hear vanity, neither will the Almighty regard it. And that's true that God does resist the proud. Now, I believe that Elihu's applying this to Job, which is incorrect. But in general, that's a true statement. It's just wrong about Job. Look at verse 14. Although thou sayest, thou shalt not see him, yet judgment is before him, therefore trust thou in him. Now remember that Job made these statements back uh, several chapters ago where he said, I feel like I can't see God. He says, I look, I look in front of me, I look behind me, I look to my right, I look to my left. And he says, I feel like I don't know where God is. This is what Elihu's referring to. He says, although thou sayest, thou shalt not see him, yet judgment is before him. And then he says this, therefore trust thou in him. So Elihu's telling Job, you just trust God. Trust God. But then he says this in verse 15. Here's another false assertion. But now, because it is not so. Because what's not so? He says, he told him in verse 14, therefore trust thou in him. He said, trust God. Then in verse 15, he says, because it's not so. He says, because I know you're not trusting God. He hath visited in his anger, yet he knoweth uh, uh, it not in great extremity. So here Elihu says, I know you're not trusting God, Job. 
Well, here's the funny thing. One of the most famous verses in the book of Job, Job 13, 15, is Job saying, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. So was, was, was Job trusting God? Well, Job said he was trusting God. And at the end of the book, God said everything Job said was right. Look at verse 16. Therefore doth Job open his mouth in vain. He multiplied his words without knowledge. Is that true? That Job is just opening his mouth in vain? He's just giving a bunch of words without knowledge? Look, Elihu and Job's three friends were full of accusations, assumptions, and assertions that were false. And, 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 and sometimes, you know, people get mad at me or, or a pastor like me for getting up. and you, I don't think you should bring up all this dirty laundry. Bring up all this drama of the new IFB. You know, I don't think you should defend yourself. Okay, well, what was Job doing the entire time? When Elihu and his three friends were just accusing him, accusing him, what was Job saying? He was saying, no, that's not true. You're wrong. That's not how it happened. That's not what I said. Well, guess what? When the Elihu and the three friends of today attack us, there's nothing wrong with us standing up and saying, no, that's not true. That's not what happened. That's not how it went down. You're lying. But look, I understand. Job understands. We all understand. In fact, one of the truths of the book of Job is this. That though it's fine for us to defend ourselves when people are accusing us falsely, really it's not to the end that God will vindicate us. And at the end of the book of Job, Job is vindicated. And you know what? At the judgment seat of Christ, any pastor who stood for God, who did right, we're not sinless. I'm sure there's things we could have done better or whatever. But any pastor who tried to do right and tried to follow the Lord, at the end of the day, God will vindicate us. And at the end of the day, God knoweth. And that's all that matters. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this chapter. And Lord, thank you for just giving us chapters like this to teach us and to show us that there are people like Elihu out there who will just get up and say all sorts of lies, make all sorts of assumptions, ask, ask all sorts of questions, to try to get people to, well, maybe this is why he said that, or maybe this is why they made that decision. And Lord, when they were doing it to Job, Job was saying, nope, that's not true. But of course, it was God who vindicated him. And Lord, help us to be mindful of that. Sometimes we have to defend ourselves and say, no, I'm going to call you out on that. That's a lie. You know it's a lie. But help us, Lord, to trust in the Lord to trust you like Job did and to realize that at the end of the day, you're the one that will judge. You will vindicate us. You will avenge us of our enemies. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.